Well, today we're beginning a new message series, which I've entitled, Doing What Jesus Did. Now, in the past few months, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, basically verse by verse. And one of the reasons we're doing that is because if you really want to understand the Bible, I believe that there are five books out of the 66 that you really need to study. Now, sometimes people get overwhelmed. The Bible is a big, thick book. It's bigger than most college textbooks. I mean, maybe some are bigger. I don't know. But most college textbooks aren't even as big as the Bible. 66 books. People don't know where to start. But I believe these five books that I'm going to tell you about are by far the most important. Not that the rest is not important, but that is the place to start. And the five books are the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the book of Acts, which is really the second part of Luke's gospel. He wrote both books. And so to really get the whole dimension of what Luke wanted to convey to us through the Holy Spirit, you have to read the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. These five books provide, I believe, the foundation for understanding the rest of the Bible. To help you properly understand the Old Testament, which looked forward to the ministry of Jesus. And understand the rest of the New Testament, which is, assumes that you understand the Gospels and what Jesus taught. Much error in the church today could be eliminated if there was a better understanding of these five essential books, the four Gospels and the book of Acts. The four Gospels, of course, give a complete understanding of Jesus' ministry, contains every recorded word that he said, every recorded deed or miracle that he did. And Acts shows how the early church continued Jesus' ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we've been studying the Gospel of Luke, we've seen that Jesus did three main things. Let's go through them briefly here. Luke 4.43, Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so the first purpose of Jesus' ministry was to what? To preach the gospel about the kingdom of God. And this is not the only verse. This is repeated over and over and over again in Luke and all the gospels as well. Jesus came to preach, to teach the message of what? The kingdom of God. There's a lot of preaching in churches today, okay? So people are doing that. And that's not a bad thing. Depends on what you're preaching, of course. And there's not enough preaching about the kingdom of God, which was Jesus' primary focus. What else did Jesus do? That's the first thing he did. What are the other two? Let's look at Luke 4.40. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many. So the next two things that Jesus focused on in his ministry was healing the sick, and the casting out of demons. And so Jesus' ministry involved preaching about the kingdom, healing the sick, and delivering people from demonic powers. We don't see a lot of healing miracles today in America. God wants to see us to see many, many more. And hardly anybody talks about demons, let alone cast them out. Demons have not disappeared. They're just hiding. They don't want us to deal with them. We need to deal with them. Why don't we see more of these things? 
that Jesus did in America today. Well, many people conveniently believe that Jesus doesn't do those kind of miracles anymore. It's commonly taught. Churches across St. Louis, churches across America, they were just for Jesus. They say, well, didn't his apostles? Well, and his apostles too. You know, they were close to Jesus and they had special powers and, you know, we're not Jesus today and we're not apostles, so we couldn't possibly do those things. Those were just like things to tell us how wonderful things were 2,000 years ago. But we live in a different age. You know, we have medicine. We have those things. We don't, we don't need that anymore. Well, let's look at what Jesus said. John 14, 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, how many people does that apply to you today? Who believes in Jesus? Okay. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. You say, what are the works? Well, the works that Jesus was talking about, clearly, if you read the context, were the miracles that he did. Those were the works that he did. And so he is saying to us, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, why did he say, because I am going to the Father? What happened when Jesus went to the Father? Well, we need to read, well, Jesus talked about it too, but it actually happened at the first part of the book of Acts. Jesus ascended into heaven, he went to the Father, and what did he do? He poured out the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit upon just a few believers? No, upon all believers. In the upper room, there were 120 gathered. And so that same power of the Spirit that worked in and through Jesus' life was then released to all believers. And I've entitled today's message then, Moving in the Supernatural. As we've seen from what Jesus said, God desires for you and me to do what Jesus did. As impossible as that may seem to you, that's what God's desire is for us. To move in the supernatural, what does that mean? It is to do the things that Jesus did. The supernatural are things the Bible calls miracles. Other places it calls them signs. Other places it calls them wonders. The supernatural things are things beyond the natural, what we would call, or normal way that life proceeds. It's a supernatural. It's a spiritual, uh, a spiritual, something spiritual. The supernatural is when the kingdom of God breaks into our worlds. And when the gospel summarized Jesus' preaching ministry, it could be summarized in a short phrase. And what did Jesus say? Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It's near, it's breaking in. The power of heaven is breaking into our world. And so my prayer today is that it would help each of us to believe Jesus' words, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So Jesus desires, desires for us to be sent out to heal. So we're going to look at an example. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 9, verse 1 today. And he called the twelve together, that's Jesus, and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. 
And he sent them out to proclaim what? The kingdom of God and to heal. So in the first eight chapters of the Gospel of Luke, we've seen that Jesus himself had been doing all the preaching. He'd been doing all the healing. He'd been doing all the casting out of demons, all the deliverance. What had the apostles been doing? They've been watching. They've been learning. Their faith has been growing. And now Jesus decided it was turn for them to do some of the doing. He was going to teach them. He gave them power and authority. The power and authority of the Holy Spirit, a special instance of this, because it's prior to the day of Pentecost, to do supernatural things. They were also sent out to preach, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, to show that the kingdom was real. You see, you can talk about the kingdom, but unless the power of the kingdom is manifest, it's hard for people to believe in something they cannot see. But when the miracles of God are manifest and you can see them happening with your eyes, it's easier for people to believe in the kingdom. The ministry of the 12 apostles would be doing, from this verse, exactly the same three things that Jesus did. No difference at all. Verse 3, he said to them, take nothing in your journey, nor staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And so the apostles were to go on their mission, their ministry, and do it through faith, trusting God to supply all of their needs. Their needs were going to be met through the hospitality and generosity of people that they had ministered to that they had taught, that they had brought healing to, that they had set free. In each town that they came to, God would show them a home to stay at for the period of time they were in that town. And that home would be part of supplying and meeting the needs that they had. Verse 5, And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. You see, not everybody is going to accept this message of the kingdom of God. It was that way back then, it's that way today. Not everyone is going to accept, not everyone is going to believe. And rather than staying in that type of situation and trying to, as they say, beat a dead horse, they are to leave. If they're not accepted, they are to leave that town, shake the dust off their feet as they went. Now, the shaking the dust off their feet was a sign really of God's judgment on that town. They didn't believe, even though miracles had been performed among them. They had not accepted the gospel of the kingdom. And so what did the apostles did, do? They did exactly what Jesus commanded them to do. It says here they went around preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now oftentimes when there are summaries in the gospels, healing encompasses both healing of sicknesses and the casting out of demons. That's another form of healing. They and we are sent to bring about healing to people around us. Now, as I said before, a common argument why we cannot possibly do the same things that Jesus did or 
that his apostles did, is that we are not Jesus and we are not apostles. Well, we're going to get, I think it's a couple Sundays from now, to chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke. And what is the next thing Jesus did? So we're going to jump ahead, give you a sneak preview. Jesus sends out, not 12, but 72 disciples. And what does he tell them to do? Exactly the same three things. And so he's showing us that he's teaching all of his followers in his day to do what he did by watching him, by learning from him. And of course, the things that Jesus commanded and instructed his disciples to do 2,000 years ago, those are his instructions to us today. If we make the argument, as some do, that well, that was just for them and not for us. Why should we follow anything Jesus said? Because it was made to people 2,000 years ago, but it was intended for all of his disciples, and he made that very clear as well. So the accounts that we read in the Gospels of what Jesus and his disciples did are not simply historical records. They are accurate historical records, but they are not there just for us to know what happened 2,000 years ago. They are there to teach us, to train us, to do the same things in our lives in the year 2022. Now, God calls people to do these ministries, what he's calling us to do in many different ways. Not many of us are called to be missionaries. Some are. To devote one's whole life or pastors or full-time ministry to, to doing these things. But each of us is sent to different places different people to carry out the things that Jesus called us to do. And so I believe every follower of Jesus is, is called to bring healing to those who are sick around us. Those who are sick physically, those who are sick emotionally, those who are, we would call it, sick spiritually. Lost people are sick spiritually. They need to be made well. They need to be made whole. And so we are called to bring that healing to those around us. And so if you're aware of people around you, people you know, people you work with, neighbors, relatives, whoever it may be, begin to pray for them. Begin to pray for opportunities to bring healing into their lives. And of course, one of the ways that you can do that is invite people to come to church where they're going to hear the gospel, they're going to have an opportunity to be prayed for, to be healed, and to be set free of any type of demonic power that they may be dealing with in their life. We are sent to bring healing. We are also sent, to, sent out to do miracles. The story continues in verse 11. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, that's Jesus, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God. I think we're supposed to recognize there's something about the kingdom of God. And he cured those who had need of healing. So Jesus continued to do healing in his own ministry. He sent the 12 out, but he was still preaching. He was still healing the people that came in crowds to see him, preaching about the kingdom of God. And if you're like me, even though I've read the book many times, as we go through the Gospel of Luke, it's astounding how, much, how many accounts of healing there are. 
It's just like chapter after chapter after chapter. I think God wants to get our attention. This is important. These accounts are in the Gospel of Luke to build our faith and to teach us to do the same in our lives. Verse 12, now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him, send the crowds away into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. So throughout the whole day, Jesus had been teaching this vast crowd of people, teaching them about the kingdom of God. People came forward or however it went, Jesus walked through the crowd, I don't know, but sick people came and he healed them. They were cured of their illnesses of the diseases or, or of the demonic powers that were oppressing them. Evening was coming. Uh, there was no food. Nobody had planned for food, apparently. And this crowd was there and had nothing to eat, apparently, the whole day. So the apostles decided to help Jesus out. They decided to tell Jesus what to do. Send them away. There's nothing here for them. Well, Jesus doesn't need anyone to tell him what to do. Uh, that was not a smart move by the apostles. Jesus, this is what you need to do. We've got it all figured out. Now, as I was studying this passage, Jesus' reply kind of jumped out at me. And he didn't address what the apostles told him to do. And we need to remember that. Jesus doesn't need us to tell him what to do. Sometimes we think he does. Jesus does not need us to tell him what to do. We need to know what Jesus wants to do and carry that out. So that's what Jesus did. But, he said to them, <laughs> he didn't even reply, you know, but you give them something to eat. Whoa. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. <clears throat> well, the disciples had told Jesus, send the crowd away. Jesus ignored that request and he gave them a command. He gave them instruction. You give them something to eat. Now, before we go on, let me ask you a question. Does Jesus ever tell someone to do something they can't do? No. I mean, that would not make no sense. He told them, you give them something to eat. Now, could they do that in their own strength, in the natural means they had? No, they only had five loaves and two fish. It was kind of amazing. And we're going to see there's 5,000 people there, but that was it, enough to feed one person. They couldn't do it. And I think when they said, unless we go and buy food for all these people, Jesus, 5,000 people, you know how much money we have? It's not going to work. Jesus, you, you know, you really want us to do that? Where's the money going to come from? Everything that Jesus commands us to do, everything he commanded his disciples to do, they can do. In fact, since it's Jesus, when he tells us to do something, we have to do it. We need to obey. So unfortunately, here again, the disciples began to argue with Jesus. Not a smart thing at all. They had it all figured out. This is not possible Jesus, just give up. Just send the people home. We're done. The problem with this hungry crowd was not simply a problem. It was not like 
It's all over. The day is over. It was an opportunity for God to do a miracle. And he wanted to do the miracle through his disciples. I believe they could have done this miracle. He said, you feed them. They could have done it. They didn't have the faith. They didn't understand that they were sent out to do miracles. So what does it take? What can we learn from this passage? What does it take for a miracle to happen? Well, first of all, there, there must be a need. Here there was a need. All these people listening to Jesus all day doing a good thing, right? And they were hungry and they needed something to eat just to make it home without fainting on the way. There was a need. Secondly, a person needs to hear from God about meeting that need. There are needs all around us. Sometimes it can be overwhelming, right? There are needs all around us. As a pastor, I get heartbreaking emails and calls almost every day from St. Louis and from every other place in the world, especially Africa. We can't meet all those needs. You know, I'm not obligated to respond to every request that comes in. Our church cannot, I cannot personally, you cannot, this church cannot meet every need that's going to come into us. But there are needs that God calls us to meet. We need to hear from God which needs we are called to meet. And when we hear from God, we need to obey God and step out in faith. So in the first point we looked at today, Jesus sent the disciples out to preach the gospel and heal the sick. And they obeyed Jesus. They went out. And they healed the sick. Wonderful. They had learned something. But what we're reading now about the miracle that's going to be performed. The disciples argued with Jesus. They did not step out in faith. And we're going to see how Jesus handled this situation as we go on through the passage. But the point that I want to bring to our attention today is God wants us to see problems or needs in our lives or the lives of other people as opportunities for a miracle to happen. Now, normally, we see problems as what? Opportunities to grumble and complain, right? That's normally what we do. Ah, oh, you won't believe. And we tell other people about our problems, right? And they, what do they do? They'll tell us about their problems. And it'll be a competition to who has a greater problem, you see. No, your problem isn't that bad. Mine is even worse, you know, and, and you compete telling problems to one another. Every problem that's in our life is an opportunity for God to work a miracle. It's an opportunity for God to meet the need. And so we need to seek God for direction as, as to what to do. Then step out in faith and obedience. Trust him to do the supernatural. Oftentimes we say it's hopeless. There's nothing can be done. Well, that might be true in the natural, but in the supernatural, nothing is impossible for God. Every follower of Jesus has been sent out to do miracles. So let's believe that we can do what Jesus did. And even when we fail, we're going to see the disciples failed over and over again, even though they were walking and talking with Jesus himself. We're going to fail at times. We're going to doubt we're going to get worried, but God's going to be there to help us. Our third point, we're sent out to bring blessing. 
Verse 14, there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. At this point, the disciples had no idea what was going to happen. Jesus had told them to feed them, and they go, we can't do it, basically. And so now Jesus was going to take control. Jesus began giving them instructions. This was a simple instruction, was it not? This was something they could do in the natural. I mean, it took a little work. It took a little organization, 5,000 people, groups of 50. I guess that's 100 groups, right? So each apostle uh, had to do about 10 make 10 groups of 50 each. Probably not a simple task, you know, with 5,000 people. And it says 5,000 men. Well, obviously there were 5,000 men. Were there women and children? Normally there would have been. Might have been 15,000. I don't know. Uh, We don't really know, but there was at least 5,000 men. So this command did not require any supernatural. It didn't require really a lot of faith either, other than they had to obey Jesus. Rather than sending the people, they had to divide him up. And what did they tell the people? I don't know what they told them. (laughs) Jesus told us to do it, you know, and uh, we don't know what he's going to do, but let's divide you up into groups of 50. So they obeyed. What did Jesus do? Verse 16, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And so let's pay careful attention to this verse, for I believe it gives us some guidelines for a miracle. First of all, Jesus took what they had. They didn't have much. In fact, it was just like this infinitesimal much, enough to feed one person out of 5,000. A lunch. Somebody had a lunch. Why there wasn't more, I have no idea, but that's what it tells us. Just a little. But he took what they had. And next he prayed. He blessed the little bit that they had. Which seems like this is hopeless. But he prayed over it. And he blessed it. And then he divided the loaves and fishes. The little they had. And he began to hand it out to the disciples. To pass out to the crowd. Now I don't know exactly how this miracle worked. I don't know if Jesus kept handing it out or the little itty-bitty piece they got. You know, five loaves and two fishes divided 12 ways. It didn't leave much, right? If that kept multiplying as they passed, I don't know, but somehow something amazing, something supernatural happened. And Jesus was teaching these disciples who had no faith to do what he was calling them to do, to do miracles. And he was involving them in the miracle itself. They became part of the miracle. Somehow, as they passed this little bit out, it multiplied. And we see the result in verse 17. And they all ate. This is not Jesus Jesus and the apostles. It's all 5,000 plus and were satisfied. It's not like they ate a little wafer, you know. (laughs) Oh. They ate everything they wanted to eat. They all ate and were satisfied. They were full. And what was left over was picked up. Didn't leave a mess. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. What was left over was far more than what they started with. It was in abundance. This miracle provided a blessing even more than was needed. 
We are sent out to bring blessing as we move in the supernatural. And so this miracle shows us, of course, that moving in the supernatural is a bigger topic than just healing and casting demons out of people. It really can involve just about anything. There are no limits to what moving in the supernatural can be. If there's a need in your life, or you're aware of the need, a need in the life of somebody else, it's an opportunity for a miracle, no matter what the need is. You know, we can think of all kinds of needs that people have. Now, God provides for us to meet many of the needs around us with natural means. That's important to bring this point out because you cannot sit at home in your prayer closet and ask God to rain down money from heaven so you don't have to work because you don't want to work, right? I mean, there are natural means that God gives to us to meet needs, and we are to do those things. But there are needs that cannot be met with the normal natural means that God has given to us. And those are the needs that are opportunities for miracles. You know the needs in your own life? The needs that perhaps you don't know how to meet them with natural means? That's an opportunity for a miracle. There will be needs in people's lives around you that seems like impossible situations. The doctors don't know what to do. That's an opportunity for a miracle. If you're not aware of any needs in your life, life or the lives of those around us, pray. <laughs> because they're all around you. You're not, you're not seeing the way God sees. God has compassion on people. He, he sees the needs around, the needs that are opportunities for him to move. I guarantee you there are needs all around you. There are needs in your life that require miracles. Perhaps God wants you to step out in faith in one area because it can't be done. You don't see that as a need. But it actually is a need because God's calling you to step out. And if you have the faith, he's going to provide supernaturally for you to do the things that he's calling you to do. Seek God. Listen to what he says to you and believe that as you obey, supernatural things will happen to meet that need. We are sent out as believers, as followers of Jesus to bring supernatural blessing. Whoops, we'll get to that in a minute. So as followers of Jesus, you and I are called to do what Jesus did. It's actually a very controversial statement, but it is true. It's what the Bible teaches. In fact, we are not only called, we are commanded to do what Jesus did. He sent us out, he sends us out to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, to heal, to bring deliverance to people's lives. In order to do that, we need to learn, as the disciples were learning to Move out in the supernatural through faith. And sure, there are going to be times when we fail, when we doubt, when we just can't believe. But Jesus will be there to encourage us to get us back on track. And it's exactly what he did with the disciples with the five loaves and the two fish. If you're a believer here today, God's plan for your life is to continue to grow in moving in the supernatural. 
God desires to bless you with his power so that you can be a blessing to others. Now, it all begins with becoming a believer. Uh, all, all of this applies to believers. Unbelievers cannot move in the supernatural. Well, <clears throat> cannot move in the supernatural involving the Holy Spirit. Uh, they can move in a different kind of supernatural. There's a bad supernatural, but we won't get into that. To become a believer, you need to repent. Turn away from your sin. That's what Jesus called people to do, to repent. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. Secondly, believe. Believe in Jesus. That he was who he said he was, the Son of God. That he died on the cross to forgive our sins. Ask for his forgiveness. Submit your life to him as your Lord. That means you're going to do what he tells you to do. So let's pray right now. Let's bow our heads. If you'd like to commit your life to Jesus for the first time or recommit your life today, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Say something like this. Father, today, I repent. I turn away from the sin in my life. I turn away from my plans for my life. And I turn towards you. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to follow your plan for my life. I believe that Jesus died to forgive my sins. He paid the penalty for my sin. Please forgive me. I believe he rose from the dead. He's alive today and I submit my life to him as my Lord. I will obey the things he tells me to do. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for making me born again into the family of God. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons that we can learn from the things that you taught your disciples 2,000 years ago. Lord, help us to embrace the truth that we are sent out to do the same three things that you did. To preach, to teach, to proclaim, to share the gospel of the kingdom to heal those who are sick, and to set people free from demonic powers. Forgive us, God, for not believing we could do those things. Forgive us, Lord, for not trusting you to move in and through us. Forgive us for not believing that the power of the Holy Spirit could help us to do the same things. We pray that you would bless us so that we could be a blessing to those around us who are in great need. In Jesus' name. So now we're going to have a, our time for healing prayer, and today we're going to just focus one more time here on what God is doing in our country today. Psalm 139 says, For you formed me, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And so I'll have a short video about what happened on Friday. It's a couple minutes long called the beginning of national repentance. I'd like to pray, uh, play for you.
For nearly 50 years, the tyranny of Roe has cast a dark shadow over America. More than 60 million innocent lives were tragically lost due to the lie that it's a woman's choice rather than a child created in the image of God. By God's mercy, the U.S. Supreme Court has overturned Roe and Casey and exposed their fraudulent constitutional foundation. The court's actions in Dobbs must be the beginning of national repentance. It is an answer to countless prayers and an opportunity to see America return to God. But we must now do the work of repentance, obeying God and loving Him with all our heart. We must redouble our efforts to extend hope and healing for those who have been deceived by the abortion industry. We must increase our support of moms and dads in need, expand our partnership with pregnancy resource centers. Now that states have the power to protect life, we must elect leaders who fear God and love life. Most importantly, we must continue to pray for hearts to be changed and for lives to be transformed by the power of God's Word. Working to see all human life welcomed into this world and protected by the law in every state. So praise God, Missouri was the first, Missouri was basically abortion-free state even before Friday, but it was uh, the first one to, within a couple minutes after the uh, decision came down, uh, things were signed into law here, outlawing all, basically all abortions in Missouri, so it was the very first state to take that. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for what you did. Uh, in the, at the Supreme Court level, uh, as they stood for righteousness and, and really just what the Constitution said, uh, as framed by the founders hundreds of years ago. We thank you for that. Uh, we know that, that uh, you're moving. We thank you for that. We thank you that because of that decision, babies' lives will be saved. There'll be less abortions going on. We thank you and praise you for that. And we pray that you continue to help us, God, to kindly and lovingly present the truth of your word to those around us. We pray that someday the concept of abortion would be unthinkable for people because they realize what it is all about. We pray, God, that we would continue to stand for life uh, from the moment of conception until you take a person home. We pray that we would do so in a loving way but in a bold way, in a courageous way that stands for the truth of your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.